This is Prairie Room Companion, episode 63, recorded July 29th, 2011. St. Joseph Cathedral, an evangelist in stone. Welcome to Prairie Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and with me in studio, once again... Father Andrew Dickinson. Good to see you, Father. Good to see you, Dr. So, Bergwald. Father, you just con- you've concluded, right, um, uh, several weeks of spiritual direction. I have several uh, weeks of uh, doing uh, eight-day uh, silent retreats and uh, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Terrific. We, we have, uh, we've probably mentioned it before, Broom Tree Retreat Center in the diocese, about an hour from Sioux Falls, and Father... Um, has been helping out and giving spiritual direction to some of the retreatants. A grand place. A beautiful place, indeed. So, as last week we talked about what we talk about this week, um, this week's podcast, um, we just we just had the the opening of or reopening of Saint Joseph Cathedral after a restoration. Uh, you were there, Father. For Huzzah! Sir. Was I ever there? So we thought we'd just talk a little bit about um, just some of the background and then spend the bulk of the time talking about the Mass, right? Um, That'd be good. Go with her. Because the Mass was B E A beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I thought you could spell it all. Hooked um, on Pahonics. Worked for me. For me. Uh, so now Archbishop Carlson was the bishop, the, the bishop of Sioux Falls, of course, for many years. And uh, Bishop Carlson, uh, back in the mid-90s-ish, uh, began work on the cathedral and began with the foundation, uh, external work. Right? You were here. I wasn't. That's what I heard. Oh, I, I don't know. When, when were you hired by the diocese? 2002. The work was actually nearly done. Okay, I began as a seminarian in the fall of 2000. Okay, there you go. Not a whole lot. So, but there's a lot, right? There was a lot of, I I know that they they used to be downstairs was the chapel Mm -hmm. that was changed into a hall. Mm -hmm. um, There was a lot of, some water issues that they worked with trying to get the foundation set. Yeah, the the, the church was actually built upon an aquifer type, Mm -hmm. uh, a little spring bubbling up. And so uh, trying to, of course, uh, Bishop, uh, was it Bishop uh, Gorman or uh, his predecessor who was trying to, of course, live out John chapter (laughs) 4. That, uh, that Christians will have a, a wellspring of living water uh, welling up unto eternal life within them. And unfortunately, it doesn't work out too well for uh, foundations for churches. And right. uh, uh, now Archbishop Carlson there, Archbishop of St. Louis, then Bishop Carlson here was told uh, that uh, the church might actually slide down the hill, literally, uh, due to the water of the city of Ponce. We had to do some drainage things and protect some I saw that damage. movie. 2012. Oh, yes. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Getting closer every minute. Yes, it is. So, uh, as we started that work, and also some uh, uh, devotional aspects added to the cathedral proper itself of a uh, new chapel. Right, Sacred Heart Chapel, what used to be the uh, sacristy. That's correct. It was originally the sacristy, which had beautiful uh, stained glass windows in it right. as a sacristy. Right. Yeah, so, so now that's our cha- It's a beautiful chapel. Uh, we have adoration there. I, um Exposition adoration on an ongoing basis, uh, and uh, daily mass had been celebrated in there for the last few years, but that might be changing well, uh, now. Well, yeah, it was supposed to be celebrated in there, but right, but they found as they built the chapel a wee bit too small, small for yeah. typical daily mass, crowd, at least for the noon crowd. Right. But that's 
Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. So, so all that exterior work was done, and then part of Bishop's, Bishop Carlson's intention was to then go ahead and restore the interior. We, Father, when I moved here uh, in 2002, um, I was very, I was very impressed by the fact that a, a diocese of the population size of Sioux Falls had such a magnificent cathedral. Just the, the size of the cathedral. For a diocese our size is very impressive. Both in terms of uh, like seating capacity, but just the size of its uh, external testament to the city around it, right. and the way that it's built and the location that it is. So we talked about the the you know the water you, you mentioned that might go down the hill. So it's for those of you who have never seen it, it is built literally for, on a hill. First of all, for those of you that have never seen it, shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> for the dear listeners in Australia, uh, shame on you. <laughs> I've been to Australia. I've seen the Cathedral of You've Sydney, been to Brazil. No, I haven't. Mm. But so anyway, yes. shame on you. I'd like to get to Brazil though. It's okay. Yes. Um. So so it's built on a hill. Um. Really, if you think about the United States, it's really St. Patrick's, <laughs> the uh, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, Washington D.C., and St. Joseph's Cathedral. Sioux Falls. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, we need I even say Sioux Falls. I mean, when you say St. Joseph's, Joseph's Cathedral, you should automatically think Sioux Falls. Falls. In fact, St. Joseph's Cathedral net is the website of. St. Joseph. Cathedral.net, yeah. yeah. Is the, that's right. St. Yeah. Joseph. Yeah. ST typically stands for saint. Right, I know. But I'm just saying, if anyone wants to look it up, it's not S A I N T. You know, you're spelling beautiful before in part, so I was just, you know. Anyway. Father, so so Bishop Carlson had this intention to to restore the interior. Again, this it's a magnificent cathedral, um, but but the paint's been chipping. We we found out after restoration work been seven layers of paint. Yeah. in many places, uh, and so paint doesn't stick too well when there's six Tell layers. Yeah. Well, and um, then also the fact of our wiring. Our wiring was right. original to the uh, construction. I believe it was uh, 1917. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you know some some things have changed yes. uh, regarding uh, wiring and safety and fire <laughs> hazards, and some things have maybe been chewed through by the occasional bird or mouse or right. other varmints. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but then Bishop Carlson was moved, of course, first to Saginaw, and now he's Archbishop of St. Louis. So we received. Uh, uh, Monsignor now Bishop Paul Swain, and he very much had uh, 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 he saw he had the same intention came to the same conclusion very quickly that, that that the restoration of the cathedral was important both for those sort of infrastructure reasons certainly but also just to beautify the cathedral. Well, and also I think from that his personal experience when he was the rector of the cathedral in Madison St. Raphael's, and when uh, it uh, caught on fire, uh, unfortunately due to uh, the activity of uh, poor. Uh, homeless man but uh so he very much had a desire to do what he could to protect this cathedral because he knew the trauma and the tragedy of something like that uh so very much in that desire to protect uh, as he would say to uh to protect uh to beautify and to restore restore right be his kind of three and also he was very he was very touched when we talked about the prominence a little earlier it's location on top of the hill you know, when he flew into Sioux Falls and, you know, uh, for someone who, you know, a convert to the faith, let alone, uh, and then ordained a priest and now selected to be a bishop, you know, a lot of questions in his heart as he flew in uh, to this new responsibility that the Holy Father had asked him to take. This is for the press conference. Yeah. And before. so you just remember seeing the, the twin spires of the cathedral as he first flew in. First time ever seen uh, the city of Sioux Falls. First time ever seen the cathedrals before he even hit the ground. Right. So we'll see it from the yeah. hill. Uh Caused him then to call it then, and many times, and I think rightly so, to call it a beacon of hope. Right. 
both as a symbol for the church at large, as that beacon of hope to the world of the life of Jesus Christ, and uh, St. Joseph's Cathedral, uh, particularly as an embodiment of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, just over two years ago, um, the, I guess, late spring, technically, of, of 2009, St. Joseph Cathedral, this Cathedral St. Joseph was, was closed uh, so that the restoration work could begin. The Cathedral Parish um, continued its, uh, had its liturgies, mass, and sacraments in what became affectionately known as known as St. Jim's, St. Gymnasium. Not J-I-M. No, J-Y-M. Uh, J-Y-M? G-Y-M, thank you. E-A, beautiful day. Oh, he's correcting me. Um, we have a, there, there's a cathedral school, elementary school, and um, they have a gymnasium, and that's where they, they did a beautiful job, by the way. I, I, I presume at some point you saw it, Father. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did a nice job of making it into a, a liturgical space. Anyway. Making the best Yes. Of a good situation. That's a good, yes. Because it was good to be restoring the uh, cathedral. So just over two years later, um, this week, uh, we had the the blessing and opening of the doors on Monday evening. So the first time the public was able to see the cathedral. And you... Uh, it, Jaw-dropping, I mean, not, not literally to the floor, but literally in the sense of people's mouths gaping open. I mean, uh, the marble is a little slippery, so your jaw <laughs> might have been the floor. But. Uh, a lot of wows. I mean, just people very impressed by the cathedral. And then Tuesday uh, was the mass for the dedication of the new altar. So the, the changes to the cathedral itself... The, the restoration work never entailed so much demolition that the building itself needed to be blessed anew. Right. But there was a new altar, uh, and and that needed to be newly dedicated. There, so so we the mass was a massive dedication for the new altar and a magnificent mass, uh, long, I, comparatively speaking, two and a half hours. But I don't know for you, Father, but for me, it went relatively quickly. Actually, it did. It did. and uh, I think a great job. Kudos to the uh, diocese who follows a communications office uh, and those who help them put together a good program that had really kept you informed and involved what was going on. I think Absolutely. Everything that was, and the music, uh, very well done. Not maybe a traditional hymnody, but still very accessible, uh, both just in your own interior participation and those times where you would sing along with uh, what right. they had. Right. So... so um, the, the cathedral, just to talk briefly about the restoration, originally the cathedral had, uh, there, there's a lot of color painting um, after Vatican II for various reasons, practical, but also some theological. You got uh, a good deal on paint. You, uh, it was it was uh, painted with uh, taupe or beige or mauve. I, mauve or yeah. Words uh, I don't know. And, and, and the, there, there, that was, of course, common in that period, but there was a decision, and this is where the, where the church is going now, to... Um, that, that those that the beautiful bass reliefs and so on the statues in the cathedral uh, are are not a distraction but they lend themselves to the worship of the mass and so on so a lot of colorizations and beautiful uh, bass reliefs that are now we have a, a fantastic uh, image or bass relief of the nativity uh, in the in the um, apse above in the sanctuary that now pops out. Literally, but but also because of the color. Yeah, and I, I remember when I first saw that because you uh, they had Christmas concerts at the cathedral uh, as a funders even during the construction. Yeah, they did a yeah. beautiful job of incorporating that into that. And uh, I remember just when I first saw uh, the relief of the nativity uh, and all the beautiful aspects of it, the four uh, symbols of the four evangelists surrounding the medallion on right. which the yep. uh, image is made, the angelic hosts, uh, mm-hmm. Venite Adoramus Dominum. 
the three, uh, the shepherds on one side, the magi on the other came with right. their gifts coming. There's this idea of the focal point of the nativity. <clears throat> and that's since also the nativity has a focal point of St. Joseph's own life. Right. And a, and, a, and a marvelous focal point in that sense. And I remember seeing them just saying, wow, I really, this would be a fantastic place to preach a Christmas homily someday. <laughs> I mean, really, just be so easy. All right, well, everyone just look turn up here. Around. <laughs> yeah, well, not turn around. I'll oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just look up here, just, you know, kind of the nativity in that sense, because just uh, it engages with, engages the eyes uh, very beautifully. And especially in this day and age when we're always looking at things. You know, I've got, you know, I, I saw an article this week about uh, psychologists are worried about uh, a portable computer addiction. Yeah. As I sit here with a cell phone and an iPod <laughs> and a computer in front of me. <laughs> um, but computer addiction, just in the sense of like people like start to freak out if they don't have their uh, iPhone, right. you know, for a day. And I was just with people that were spent 30 days in silence and removed from exterior communication. They seem to be doing okay. But uh, but we need to some ways we need the church. Is, there's a good reason making the church visually arresting, right? Uh, in this day and age when we have so many things to see visually, right? I mean, where we live in, a, you know, a, a, just actually last, I can't, I, Dr. Jem Sullivan is a professor of dogmatic theology, Father, uh, That's and she teaches. Um, I think in Washington D.C. at the um, the Dominican House of Studies, I believe she wrote a book. I can't, I can't remember the title of the book right now, but Jem J E M Sullivan is her name, and she talks about how sacred art um, really in our because we live in a visual culture mm-hmm. that we should use our sacred art as a means of evangelization, and that has very much been um, an intention of Pope Benedict. Well, yeah, him oh, too. Pope Benedict. And Bishop Swain. <laughs> who, who, who's very good at following Pope Benedict yes. and taking his lead from Pope Benedict. Uh, uh, Bishop Swain, with the restoration, that, that the cathedral itself would be an evangelist in stone, is one phrase. that he, An evangelist in, in stone. stone. Right, which that, is a classic phrase about many churches. Right, yeah, absolutely. So it's scope and what we were talking magnificence earlier, but now the interior with the restoration, it really, again, as you were just saying, um, with the visual age in which we live, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cathedral uh, with its restoration beautification really is a magnificent uh, proclaimer of the gospel. And that's one of the ancient uh, uh, points of, uh, or one of the ancient connections between the church and artists. Right. The church as the patron of the arts. Right. And, uh, and uh, sadly, in the past uh, 150, 200 years, it's, there's really become a division between, in many ways, arts and the church. But, of course, we need to try it from the grassroots, of course, as always, to build up that relationship again by hiring artists and putting them to use right. in a way that is in line with incarnational uh, theology of Christian revelation. So, speaking of it, so the, the architect uh, that, that Bishop Swain ended up um, selecting for this project, Duncan Stroik, who teaches at Notre Dame, uh, it did a fantastic job to me uh, with, with his vision. Mm-hmm. Or, or taking Bishop Swain's vision and sort of concretizing that, making it, okay, what Bishop Swain wants it to be, and very much aligns with restoring what the original architect's intention was of, okay, this is how it can look. And then the other people who were involved. So the sculptor, for instance, um, originally from Minnesota, I'd like to point out, uh, Cody Swanson is his name. Uh, along the lines of what you're just saying, Father, there's a, a, a story about uh, uh, Mr. Swanson that I heard recently that he had sort of, I don't know if he grew up unchurched, but he wasn't really practicing any faith mm-hmm. until he started as he really wanted to, to work with art and the arts. You know, I think looking at sculpture or whatever, and as he studied art, 
he that led to a conversion right because of studying art and then sacred art in particular led him to the church and so i think it's very much a paradigm of what bishop swain hopes can happen uh, with the cathedral very much so and one of the beautiful things about i think then this uh, evangelist in stone is that it becomes an invitation into for all who enter it into heavenly realities right it's, it becomes, in that, sense, in that sense, truly an evangelization, an invitation, a proclamation of good news in stone. And I think really when we think about uh, maybe some of our contemporary experiences of architecture uh, or uh, in the postmodern period of, you know, really the past 30, 40 years, very much of our architecture has been a limited experience of the gospel. Right. Uh, the desire has been to uh, not have the church be the, the church structure itself be too overbearing upon one's experience. Uh, but I think there's there's some wisdom in uh, a church like St. Joseph's Cathedral, uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, things like this, and inviting us into that heavenly reality. Uh, I remember thinking this uh, in terms of one of my times at St. Peter, you know, as inspiring, as beautiful as this is, in some way there's that reminder that heaven's going to be better. Right. This right. is only a foretaste, but it does allow me to have a foretaste here on earth. Right. And no matter, uh, I, you know, walking through with the uh, uh, masses of people at, uh, uh, no pun intended, in St. Peter's, of just anyone who wanted to come in, non-baptized, you know, uh, uh, people from Asia, maybe not even Christian, just there on tour uh, with cameras photographing things because it's just an amazing thing. But in some ways, it's calling their minds to the higher things, goodness, beauty, and truth. Right. Uh, and what, uh, uh, it invites you to something that's already complete. Yeah. You know, as Christians, we believe in a God who's already complete, a God who creates out of a desire for us to share in his goodness, not yep. because he needed anything, but God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit creating so we might share in the goodness of being, the goodness of existence. And so a church that reflects that reality. I, I, as you're talking there, I was thinking in the cathedral, we have, uh, first of all, one of the, the neat things um, wooden doors and two sets of windows the external doors are wooden and you walk into the narthex what people think is the foyer uh, but the narthex where the baptistry is now and so on um and then you walk through another set of wooden doors into the actual church the, the nave the, the where the pews the body are, of the church the body of the church yep. uh, the cathedral uh, a beautiful church any beautiful church is in a sense the narthex of heaven mm-hmm. it's a 40 we're, we're in the passageway so to speak, between this life, mundane, everyday life, mm-hmm. and heaven. Uh, and I think that's very much what, as you were saying, a church is intended to be. One of the ways I like to think about, too, is that embassy. You know, the church, church, even architecturally, but also, of course, in what's done there in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, is that embassy of heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that sovereign outpost in the midst of foreign territory right. that says to it, here is a king. Come meet the king. Know the right. king. Know of his love for you and his desire for you to take part in his own life. Right. Right. An extension of the kingdom. I mean, it's not, in a sense, the kingdom in its fullness, but it is sovereign territory of the kingdom, as you said. In, in that sense, I was really uh, grateful in the, the readings that were picked, uh, very beautiful readings, talking about the heavenly realities, Genesis, and the story of uh, Jacob's ladder yep. and his mystic vision. But especially Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. I just want to maybe read that since it's such a short passage. Because it, it just spoke to my heart. The moment I heard that, I was like, ah, I just I, I knew it. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the holy ones and members of the household of God, 
<clears throat> built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Just My heart just really pierced by that, of that whole idea of you are no longer strangers and sojourners. And how often... Whether you're Christian, whether you're non-Christian, do you feel that weight of aloneness, which right. is really, I mean, it's, it's a fruit of sin, Satan who desires to divide, Satan who desires to discourage, just sow that division. You are strangers and sojourners no longer, but you are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of the house of God. And so here in this church, you know, the beautiful stained glass windows, which are always there and always so beautifully on display of the communion of saints, mm-hmm. uh, the the bas relief of the apostles along the ceiling of the nave. You remember my delight in discovering them up there after uh, the renovations began. We didn't know they were there. Right. They've been covered over. You couldn't see the names. You used some figures up there, but you didn't know who they were. Right. But now you know they're the 12 apostles. Now they're looking towards the altar, right. the tabernacle, the culmination of the Christian ministry. Right. Where is the capstone, Jesus Christ? Um, the cherubs, which are all over the place. The angels on top of the baldacchino now. Um, just calling you to that heavenly reality. You are not a stranger. You are a citizen of heaven. And 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 all the other, I mean, the more maybe obscure symbols that are found in in uh, some churches, like like the cathedral, uh, a pelican, mm-hmm. a Christian symbol that obviously prior to the restoration, I had no idea of its significance. Mm. Uh, but pineapples are all, all over the yes. place. Um, so all these different symbols, but they're all there for a reason. You know, one of my big things, you know, we're preparing for the new translation of the mass. Mm-hmm. And so one of my big things is everything in our faith particularly including the mass, there's a reason for why we do what we do, everything. And that's the true, that's true with sacred architecture and sacred art as well. There's a reason for all, you know, what should we make? Apple? No, that's the bad stuff. Let's, what, how about a pineapple? Right. No, there's reasons right. for. I like pineapple. Uh, well, yeah, I like vitamin C. They're on sale. <laughs> we got one are just round. I mean, that's boring. Um, I mean, think about it. They probably didn't even have a pineapple to use as a model in those days. I mean, in the teens in South Dakota. How often, how many pineapples did you see here? Good exactly. Might be the only place many people saw a pineapple. Good point. In art. What is that? I don't know. Um, Pineapple. So some, in terms of the mass itself then, Father, there were, in many ways, at a certain point, it became a very familiar mass. But yeah. early on, there were, because, again, there were a lot of new pieces of sacred art that needed to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the mass began in, in maybe unusual ways. It began with the, the blessing of, of the new crucifix, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Fantastically uh, beautiful. Fantastically beautiful. The marble behind it on display. It's uh, it's it's incredibly rich, moving, calls to the glory of God. Absolutely. So and then and then uh, Bishop uh, blessed the cathedra, uh, the the his official authoritative uh, chair or or throne, frankly, in a mm-hmm. sense, um, uh, from which he, as the the chief shepherd of the diocese, uh, leads worship and. Only it's only proper to him to be seated in the cathedral. He's the only one who sits there. Yep. And uh, interesting though that he also the there's a small image that you may never see above there, and even if you get up and look close, it might be hard yep. to see. But up above the cathedral, it's crowned with an image of uh, Christ washing the f- uh, feet of the disciple of right. the apostles. A uh, sculpture, a, a, a Piedmont or something like that. I don't remember what it's called, but it's a it's a, a right of Jesus of of, ser- of service. Right. Well, particularly though, the service of the ordination of the apostles right. and reminding uh, Bishop Swainson that he wanted there to remind him and his successors that his primary role is to serve the priests of the diocese in that sense and to uh, uh, to be well, their servant. It's always about you guys. 
goodness it is. sake, would you it is. get over yourself? It's trickle down. Trickle, <laughs> trickle down. Trickle down theology. <laughs> so so Bishop, uh, Bishop blessed the cathedral, and then he blessed holy water. And then he, with the blessed holy water, the holy water now, yep. he went around the, the cathedral and blessed the walls and the people, certainly mm-hmm. participating, but the walls of the cathedral. Yep. And then blessed the altar. Yep. Um, and then, then we had a small, bl- a short blessing of the ambo. Of the ambo. That the word right. of God would always be proclaimed in yep, here. And, yep. um, and then there's the, the the readings that you you mentioned, Genesis, and, and uh, there's a psalm, and, and then Ephesians. The gospel, remind me, Father, you've got the program. What, what was the Matthew gospel? 16. Right. Of course, uh, so you Peter, are, uh, Peter, Peter, upon this rock I shall build my church. And Bishop gave a beautiful homily. Yep. Um, I thought a very nice homily. You can find it online at sfcatholic.org if you want to read it. I would encourage you to do that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I think one of the things that this uh, we get into the rich then uh, uh, prayer of dedication yeah. for the altar itself, yeah. and uh, a priest friend of mine who was down from Fargo for the event, uh, he says the thing he loves about this ritual is that it really pinpoints the primus of the altar in the mass. At the because al- of course we talk about Christ as both priest, victim, and altar, whereas right. the Gospel of John will point out very richly that Christ uh, uh, sets himself up as the new temple. Right. The, the fullest temple, the fulfillment of the temples from the first tabernacle tent, first meeting tent in the desert with Moses where sacrifice was first made. Christ fulfills all that. And now we mystically take part in him. As it says in Eucharistic prayer one, uh, we pray almighty God that your angel may take the sacrifice to your altar in heaven. Right. Right. And as we see from this altar, the sacred body and blood of your son might be filled with every grace and blessing. So that primacy of the altar, the altar is important. And so we, we didn't reverence the altar at the beginning of mass. Had not because been it hadn't been yet. consecrated. And so this whole idea. And so uh, we entered into the lineage of the saints. Yep. Which is very rich and beautiful. And asking them to bless the altar itself. In fact, there's a line in the litany at the end of it, you know, uh, praying for the church. Make this altar holy and consecrate it to your worship. Mm-hmm. So set aside, consecrated for that. And then, of course, the beautiful aspect of the relics. Uh, which I loved. I mean, did you notice anything different about the deacon who carried the relics? Uh, no. No? No. Oh, oh in the audience, someone did. Yes. <laughs> well, he, was he wearing white like everyone else? No, he was wearing red, just like Dr. Bergwald is today. <laughs> so he was wearing the red of the martyrs. Yeah, his... Uh, it's his uh, dalmatic. Dalmatic, thank you. That's yeah, the, vest- the proper vestiture of the uh, deacon. Was everyone else is vested in white uh, for St. Joseph nice. and for the Slumber of the Feast Day. But he, because he, he was charged with bearing the relics, uh, both in procession and then bringing them to the altar to be placed in by His Excellency, he was wearing red. Why, uh, why relics in the altar, Father? Ah, uh, well, I think a beautiful... Well, first of all, because the early church did it. And that they sought to pray uh, where uh, those who had gone before. They celebrated mass literally on the tomb exactly. of the martyrs. Yep. And there's uh, and so whether in the catacombs or other places, the tombs of the martyrs. But also then uh, the program pointed out this. I hadn't thought about this before, but Revelation uh, chapter 6, verse 9, where John uh, in his mystic vision says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Under the altar. Yeah, under the altar. Yeah. And so what a beautiful image there yeah. and uh, and lived out. So uh, deposit in the altar and uh, 
and very, very beautiful. I was very struck by the workmen coming in yeah. to then seal stonemasons. I mean, liturgically, they're called stonemasons. These were men, who, one from Italy who had helped with the marble, uh, one who was uh, responsible over, for overseeing the construction project itself, uh, third one who I don't remember what he did. <laughs> but, 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 but it's so beautiful to see them do that. And at first I was like, oh, come on, can't you seal it later? Right. But at the same time, I was like, well, no, I mean, this is this is really part of that. Right. You know, this of, of uh, let's let's do this, and 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 also the the dignity of workers in the right. Right. So they literally made the mortar. I mean, there they they had you know five gallon uh, buckets buckets, and they made yeah. the mortar. Are those liturgical and they buckets? Trowled, <laughs> they, they troweled it, in, you know, and they they literally sealed, sealed? Yeah. the the um, the altar stone. Incredibly, and, and just I think a very beautiful Catholic sensibility that we lose in our American utilitarianism. Yeah. About things, I was thinking. I was actually thinking to mind of uh, the burial rite, and how often we never stay around anymore mm-hmm. for our loved ones to be buried actually in the earth anymore. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, it's, you know, it can get difficult. It can be hard. You know, and we want to practically cover. No, I mean, I want to tell people at my funeral, I want you to lower me down. Yeah. Who cares if things scrape or make noises? <laughs> just lower me down. Right. So. so, so there was the. Um, they did that, and then Bishop anointed the altar and, and pointed. And did he ever? Pointed, pour, so he pour, there's pouring of the sacred chrism of the three oils that are consecrated, which yep. we've talked about a few months ago with the, uh, what's it called? The chrism mass. Yeah, that's yes. what it's called. The sacred chrism in the middle and then the four corners and then walking around the altar seven times. Mm-hmm. And again, the biblical depth and richness. Uh, I do know something about, I, I, I did a little studying, Father. Uh the, Moses anointed, walked around the altar of, in the wilderness seven times mm-hmm. in the desert. And, and so, Bishop, so although, frankly, it feels like more than seven. I have to, I have to <laughs> watch. Where's where your click counter? <laughs> but the, uh, and then the whole church has been filled with the aroma of the chrism oil. I don't know if you got it farther. I couldn't um, back where I was okay. now. Well, up in the expensive seats with the priest yeah, were smelling yeah, pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, but just the beautiful, I mean, and he was very, I mean, you know, he was very intentional about, about, you know, rubbing the oil, mm-hmm. in, this, the chrism, yeah. uh, into the altar as he's walking around seven times, the, the symbolic number. And then you have the incense. Now, this is the aroma. I mean, a brazier. Right. It's magnificent. And, and I had to let somebody comment on this later, too. One of our uh, transitional deacons, um, Anthony Venner, Anthony Venner, Jonathan Venner, who will be, um, God willing, ordained as a priest uh Next Six week. days from today. A few weeks from when we're taping. Um, yes. Had these huge mittens. <laughs> Liturgical mittens? <laughs> but, but the, this Liturgical pot holders? hot because yeah. it's... Filled so with coals. And and then, but then the bishop... Uh, dumped a whole, uh, a whole uh, container into it. It was very beautiful and glorious. It was. And so you see this, this smoke rising. Billowing. Up. It was beautiful. It's fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Yes, so. it was. Anything else, Father, from the Mass that uh, struck you? I would just just like to leave, uh, once we get to this point, I just would like to maybe end, uh, leave us with the Bishop's words of his homily, I think just were very beautiful and just summing up everything we said here today on on the need for... for sacred art. And so when we get to that point, I just like to... And the other thing I just want to mention before we, we, we conclude with that, one of the things that really struck me was that, because the Mass a- after this point proceeded pretty much as normal with the Liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end, of course, there's the new, new tabernacle as well. So the inauguration of the new tabernacle uh, and a beautiful tabernacle um, underneath the, the new crucifix as well. So just for, I mean, obviously... 
Christ became present at the moment of consecration um, in the, the unique way he is in the Eucharist. And then he was, you know, a lot of people commented afterwards, he, he, home again. And where, where Jesus yeah. present again in the cathedral, uh, in the actual, the, the, the church body uh, for the first time in two years in a, in a, in a beautiful tabernacle. And now what that must have been like, especially for the parishioners of the cathedral. Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 that, was, that, that struck me as well. But you, from the homily. Just a very short line from Bishop Swan, I think just fills up a lot of, or sums up a lot of what we said in, in many ways. Maybe I was trying to say this, but in much more many words. Um, Truly the Lord is in this place. Oh, how we need signs of hope and places of rest in our world today. So filled with violence, incivility, injustice, narcissism, and disrespect for life. Oh, how we need signs of hope and places of rest in our world today. Amen. We'll leave it with that, and we'll be back again next week with another episode of Prayer Room Companion. Thanks for being here, Father.